Welcome to In a Perfect Policy, hosted by the University of Wisconsin-Madison's Catalysts for Science Policy. At CASP, we work to advocate for science-based policy, engage lawmakers in their policymaking process, and promote science outreach within the community. CASP's parent organization is the National Science Policy Network, or NSPN, which is a quickly growing national science policy group dedicated to advancing science policy initiatives and empowering early career scientists within the community. This episode is part of a series diving into the policy memos submitted by CASP members to the International Policy Memo Writing Competition held by the Journal of Science Policy and Governance each year. Each year, JSPG and NSPN collaborate on a science policy memo competition and publication opportunity. This year, the theme of the memo competition was intersectional science policy issues that directly affect marginalized scientists and communities. In today's episode, we're talking about a policy memo written by three members of CASP on expanding paid sick leave access in the state of Wisconsin. A policy to expand paid sick leave could reduce inequity and the spread of infectious disease. We decided to focus on Wisconsin because it's one of the states that doesn't have paid sick leave, and we could also see firsthand, living in Madison, how this was affecting the spread of COVID. So we decided to address our memo to Representative Sandy Pope. My name is Maya Gumnett, and I'm one of the authors, and I'm here today with Lauren Schrader and Chris Unterberger. Today, we're going to answer some questions about the memo we wrote. So let's talk about what inspired us to write the memo. So a lot of our inspiration came from being in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. There were a lot of issues brought to light with the fact that a lot of Americans didn't have access to paid sick leave when we had public health policies that were specifically telling workers you need to stay home for two weeks in quarantine if you've been exposed to COVID-19 so that we don't uh, continue to perpetuate the spread. But a lot of American workers didn't have the capacity to take off work. And I know in addition to this, I personally have worked in the restaurant industry and worked jobs that didn't have paid sick leave and sometimes didn't have very good options even for any kind of sick leave and experienced firsthand how detrimental that can be because getting sick is something that happens to everyone and having a workplace that doesn't account for it in its policies is just a really uh, an unfair system to have in place. In regards to what inspired us to write this memo was really comes down to whether workers should have the right to make that choice between losing their income and taking care of themselves or their family during an illness. Uh, so from a public health perspective, there's data that indicates that people who come to work sick spread those contagious diseases at the workplace and to the customers uh, and the other coworkers that are at the workplace too. So there's evidence that we need to change that policy to better support the employees. But there's the other side of that coin that the employers need to be supported too. So there's arguments against paid sick leave policies across the board that focus on reducing the wage burden for employers. And that's where the other side of the conflict comes into play. There's a partisan debate at the federal and state levels and local levels, depending on where you're looking, but there's across all different types of 
government structures, there are debates over what paid sick leave legislation should be implemented. Um, federal paid sick leave legislation is often introduced in Congress. The Healthy Families Act would require employers with at least 15 employees to provide their employees with an hour of paid sick leave for every 30 hours worked. Uh, unfortunately, that often gets struck down before it even makes it out of committees. Uh, there's another Federal Family and Medical Leave Act, FMLA, that is often cited as an alternative to sick leave, but that FMLA is structured for more long-term illnesses or, or family leave, and it's unpaid. So that doesn't really address the central issue of the paid sick leave policy that we addressed here. And that's also going to say all those proposed paid sick leave bills and uh, the Healthy Families Act that would address it in one way, they've all been struck down before even getting out of committee. So that still leaves us at a federal level without any paid sick leave policy. So that requires state level legislation to make some moves to close that paid sick leave gap. And so far 13 state legislatures and the District of Columbia have successfully enacted a range of different paid sick leave policies, and which range from requiring one paid one hour of paid sick leave for every 30 hours work to 40 hours work to 72 hours worked. And it's accrued annually and there's different versions of how it carries over to different, uh, the how it carries over annually and whatnot. And so there's just a mosaic of different paid sick leave policies across the United States in terms of state level or uh, municipality level policies. So could you expand more on how this issue impacts marginalized communities? Yeah, so we were looking at it in two major ways. First, for the economic impact, we know that minority workers, especially women, people of color, are more likely to have jobs without access to paid sick leave. And these are lower wage jobs or people who may be working multiple part-time jobs that don't offer paid sick leave. So if you think about the inevitability, say, over the course of a year that you or your child or someone else you care for will get sick or need care, the individuals without paid sick leave, they're losing income anytime that happens, while those in higher paid jobs with paid sick leave aren't. So this can widen income inequality gaps even further. We also thought about the impact on marginalized communities in terms of the health impact we knew that these same minority workers working these low-wage jobs are also disproportionately impacted by health problems, which can be in terms of chronic disease. These groups are more likely to have higher rates of issues like cardiovascular disease and diabetes who, without access to paid sick leave, have another burden to accessing healthcare. And also, as we saw during COVID-19, these minority workers in low-wage jobs can end up on the front lines being exposed to transmissible diseases like COVID-19 or even seasonal flu, and then they still don't have paid sick leave to take care of themselves or take time off so they don't spread it. So even though Wisconsin doesn't have legislated statewide paid sick leave, were there any solutions put forth during COVID and were any of those permanent? Uh, yeah, no, the answer is no. There are no permanent solutions to paid sick leave that came out of COVID. Uh, in April 2020, so shortly after things shut down in the U.S., there was the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, or the FFCRA, that was passed at the federal level to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. It provided temporary fund federal funding for paid sick leave to address that 
concern from American workers that they needed to follow COVID-19 quarantine guidelines, but they couldn't afford to miss work. So yeah, that's just a temporary response. It expired in uh, at the end of 2020. So now we're once again without a federal paid sick leave policy, which leaves the states up to themselves or any local municipalities that so choose to implement a mandated paid sick leave policy to fend for themselves. Yeah, unfortunately, Wisconsin is a state that actually prohibits individual municipalities from passing their own paid sick leave legislation. Um, So, for example, Milwaukee in Wisconsin voted on a ballot measure to create their own local paid sick leave legislation, and it actually got 68% support. But then they struck it down and said that was no longer an option, so places like Madison are unable to do that as well. What are the arguments for and against implementing a policy like this? Sure. So first I'll start with the arguments against implementing paid sick leave. The main argument is that small businesses might struggle to provide paid sick leave for their employees. And so um, this is another reason why it's really problematic to leave it up to employers to decide what kind of paid sick leave their employees get. Um, and to not actually have a statewide or federal legislation for it. That being said, there are data out there that suggests that employers do favor paid sick leave policies across municipality jurisdictions. In New York City and San Francisco, employers do express strong support for paid sick leave policies that are mandated there. And then in Connecticut, a poll of employers in Connecticut, which mandates paid sick leave policies, shows that there's minimal to no negative effects from paid sick leave policies on employers. There are actually a lot of benefits to employers if they implement paid sick leave, um, which are often overlooked. So one is that it reduces employee turnover and something called presenteeism, which is where you show up to work, but you're sick and you're not really there, you're not really paying attention. And so that can increase workplace accidents and it can generally make the businesses lose profit. It also makes employers more competitive when they offer paid sick leave policies. So you got to keep that in consideration when you're an employer and you see all these negative effects. You also have some good coming out of paid sick leave policies that come at you. I think it's really important to look at paid sick leave from a public health perspective and understand that it really is about workers who are sick and either contagious to other coworkers or to customers. And the positive benefits of addressing these issues really can't be understated. So these changes can reduce the spread of contagious diseases through and within the workplace. And another important benefit that isn't directly related to COVID or directly related to contagious disease, but is still really, really important to talk about is that paid sick leave diminishes the barriers that prevent workers from seeking preventative and routine care, both for themselves and for their families. So this is like dentist appointments and cancer screenings and those types of appointments that you have to take time off of work in order to do. People who lack paid sick leave are less likely to seek preventative care. Uh, There's a study that we saw that estimated that 3 million American workers go to work sick each week. Uh, Nearly half of food service workers in one poll reported working while ill, knowingly working while knowingly ill. So unsurprisingly, 
almost half of all stomach virus cases in the U.S. are contracted from eating at restaurants. So paid sick leave policies would ideally prevent those nearly 50% of stomach virus cases being prevented from food service workers having paid sick leave and choosing not to work while ill. Another way to look at it is rather than thinking about public health or the economic benefits separately, the economics of public health are also something to consider because when you have a high level of disease spread, as we saw in COVID-19, it can cost individuals, businesses, families, and public health infrastructure as a whole if everyone is sick or if there are higher rates of disease. So we've been talking a lot about the public health and socioeconomic context of this issue. But let's get into the policy options we talk about in the memo to expand paid sick leave. The first policy option that we present to the Wisconsin state representatives and in particular Representative Pope here would be to introduce legislation requiring that all Wisconsin employers with more than 10 employees guarantee those employees an hour of paid sick leave for every 30 hours they work, eventually accruing up to 72 hours per year. And that policy option has a number of different advantages. Um, In general, it does help close that paid sick leave access gap that we talked about time and time again over this episode. Um, It protects those small businesses with fewer than 10 employees that we've mentioned. And it's comparable to that Milwaukee paid sick leave policy that Maya alluded to earlier that was passed in a referendum back in 2008 with 68% of support from voters. So this reflects what the Wisconsinites already want in their paid sick leave policy. Unfortunately, this type of policy would exclude the 225,000 workers at small businesses such as restaurants that are touching your food and other hospitality services uh, that wouldn't be covered because they're smaller than 10 employees. Um, And recently hired workers tend to have limited access to this type of paid sick leave because they haven't accrued as many hours. And then another consideration for any policy that covers paid sick leave is the part-time employees that are at a disadvantage for accruing paid sick leave hours. So the second option that we presented and then the one we actually ended up recommending as our preferred policy option was to introduce legislation requiring all Wisconsin employers to guarantee employees with a minimum of five days of paid sick leave per year. There's a lot of advantages to this option versus the other option. It would provide paid sick leave to the approximately 600,000 employees that currently don't have paid sick leave in Wisconsin, which would help close the income, race, and gender access gaps to paid sick leave. Also, it would allow Wisconsin workers to stay home when they or their children are sick And so from a public health perspective, it would reduce opportunities for diseases to spread. Another advantage of this option is that it solves one of the problems that Chris mentioned earlier about part-time workers who may not have enough hours gathered to qualify for the paid sick leave provided in option one. And so this would offer paid sick leave to part-time workers who work multiple jobs or need paid sick leave no matter how long they've worked there. And last, it would cover small business employees, including the small businesses that have only five or 10 employees working there. Are there any disadvantages to this option? Yeah, so one potential disadvantage is that it could cause some financial or logistic burden on the businesses in the short term. 
um, in terms of figuring out payroll stuff and administrative costs associated with keeping track of the paid sick leave days. Um, and then it's also possible that small businesses required to comply with this would face a greater challenge than large businesses covering the short-term costs associated with paid sick leave implementation. But I think it's important to look at what happens in places that actually implement paid sick leave to see how these concerns might actually be. So the places like New York City and San Francisco, municipalities that have implemented paid sick leave policies from an employer standpoint, the employers actually prefer a paid sick leave policy because it does increase employee morale and because there's a mandate across the city for paid sick leave policies, there's no favorability for other employers who do who can afford to implement a paid sick leave policy without there being a mandate in place. Employers in states with statewide paid sick leave policies such as Connecticut, those employers have reported minimal to no effects, minimal to no negative effects on labor costs and have made no changes in prices or employee hours after their statewide paid sick leave policy mandate was enacted. So in all, it seems to have no negative effects on employers that people anticipate would be happening. So are there any other considerations about the policies that you weren't able to include in the memo? And if you could create a perfect policy to address this issue, what might it be? Right. So one thing that we didn't directly address in the memo that went beyond the scope of it was where exactly the money would be coming from for the employers to provide employees with paid sick leave. And so in certain plans, the employer is responsible directly for paying that. And we understand that one of the concerns that small businesses have is that they won't be able to do that very easily. And so there needs to be room for options that don't require the businesses themselves to pay the paid sick leave. So that's one option. Another really unrealistic but super intriguing option from a public health perspective is to adjust paid sick leave guidelines based on CDC public health recommendations. So for example, you can imagine that during flu season, it would be recommended that people can take off 10 days. And so this is not at all how paid sick leave legislation tends to be structured, but it is possible that it could be designed in a way that could reflect public health needs more. There's other considerations that need to be thought about as well when implementing different paid sick leave policies that could influence what paid sick leave policies are implemented in Wisconsin and maybe even at the federal level at some point. Um, the small businesses, for example, we got to find creative funding sources that Maya alluded to, but we also have to address the part-time employee issue, how to supplement their income or their wage loss when uh, using paid sick days. Uh, or you can also look into more complex paid sick leave policies. In Europe, they're pretty creative with their paid sick leave. In France, for example, their paid sick leave policy only covers a portion or 90% of the normal wages when they're sick and they can't come to work, which to an extent disincentivizes employees from taking those days off of work. So they do still get a paid sick day in which they still earn wages and they can still supplement their income by using this paid sick leave money. So they're not necessarily digging into their savings that they may or may not have, 
but not to the full extent as if they were working. So if you need 100% of your wages, you need to go to work. But if you're sick, there's not incentive to go to work further than losing 10% of your income. All right. Are there any final thoughts on what a perfect policy to address the issue of paid sick leave might be? In terms of a perfect policy to address this issue, I mean, I think this really almost goes back to a cultural shift that we would need to have in, in what we would consider about paid sick leave. Um, like I said before, building in the fact that humans will inevitably get sick into your workplace policy would just be a better starting place that everybody has in mind. Employers know that's going to happen rather than the burden being on the shoulders of the employee who, you know, how dare they get sick when that's just a very normal part of being a human. So as we've seen, having a system set up that doesn't allow for the inevitability of getting sick, that we've created a culture around the idea of, oh, it's normal to come to work sick, which I think in a positive way from COVID-19, people have started to question whether we should have been doing that all along or whether that's actually something that could be really detrimental. So with this kind of cultural shift, then that could lead to policies like what Maya was suggesting, where not only do we have paid sick leave guaranteed to all workers, but even that it might actually match up with CDC guidelines. For example, you know, if someone has a stomach virus following the guidelines of how long to stay home when they're sick from that, or with something like COVID-19 to make sure that people are given the time that they need when they get sick and enough of it. And I think in the end, if we don't do anything about this, uh, we're going to continue down the same path where we have the economic inequalities that are exaggerated when people don't have access to paid sick leave. And we're also still going to have to continue dealing with the public health consequences of having a portion of our workforce coming to work sick, even if it's not the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, even annual flu seasons, any other transmissible disease we might face is just going to be magnified when we don't have these kind of public health policies in place to protect us. And we're really just setting ourselves up for more problems like that in the future. And now we're going to hear Lauren's interview with Wisconsin State Representative Sandy Pope. We, as members of Catalyst for Science Policy, recently wrote a policy memo about expanding paid sick leave, specifically in the state of Wisconsin. Just to summarize, I mean, we were fairly motivated by what happened in COVID-19 that really shined light on the fact that we have these massive access gaps and also just the inequities that are part of these access gaps. So um, we were proposing Wisconsin passing legislation to expand paid sick leave so that all Wisconsin businesses are providing five days of paid sick leave per employee per year to promote public health and also equity. We wanted to talk to you about that, and we know that you've been active on the issue. So just to kind of start off, what do you see as the advantages or disadvantages of a policy like the one that we proposed? Well, it certainly came to light during COVID. Uh, we talked about that a lot. But um, the advantages are huge, and I, I think that is borne out when you look at the rest of the planet. Uh, here sits the United States at the very bottom of the list. Um, we seem to not care about families and their health and well-being. And um, when you step back and look at the mental health issues in the United States and the violence and all of that, it makes you just wonder how much of this plays back to how we began our lives. <clears throat> so many of 
the women in America give birth and a matter of days later are back at work. So we're sort of missing that length of bonding and nurturing that happens at infancy. But the bigger picture for me is that um, the inequities that comes with not having a family medical leave insurance is that the low wage earner compared to the high wage earner is really bearing the burden of the economy, holding up families, holding jobs that are necessary but not well paid, and um, the disparities between low income, high income, people of color, women, it just all bears out on what's happening in our country and we're paying a price for it. Absolutely. It's just that it's pretty hard to put a price tag behind what we know exists in terms of those inequities <clears throat> and the health outcomes. So if you're a low wage earner and you have no uh, paid medical leave to depend on, you aren't taking your kids to the dentist, you aren't doing your own checkups, you aren't going to the doctor, your family members who are not well are not being cared for. If you're sick, you go to work anyway. Um, even at five days a year, that's nothing. Uh, I think about all the young women I have met in my life who, when they have their period, are really, really laid low. Uh, that happens more than five times a year. Uh, if you get a cold or flu, you're hardly ever over it in the day. So we're just simply asking people to go to work ill and spread that around among their coworkers. And in the end, we're all paying a big price for this nonsense. Um, it's just astonishing to me that the rest of the world has figured it out and the United States of America sits here claiming to be the, you know, the, the best economy on earth and, and the most, we're none of the above. We, we should be ashamed, and I am, and yet we don't seem to find the will to do anything about it. Yeah, and that kind of relates to the follow-up question I had for that, which is, you know, this is an issue that's been attempted and failed so many times in different levels of government. What is your take on, on why that is happening? You know, it's, it's hard to understand because everyone, Republican, Democrat, old, young, we all see the, the truth of this and the benefit of it. And yet the division seems to fall very clearly on political lines. Um, everybody in those 99 assembly districts have the same issues. They have the same mix of people, but for some reason they managed to get past it without being held accountable. Um, as for the bill that Senator Ringhand and I have been offering up. I think one of the key pieces that is missing for us is that we have not educated the public to the point of understanding that our insurance program would run very much like unemployment in that it's a contribution from the employee, not the employer. Although some states choose to do it that way, that is what our bill calls for. <clears throat> And I don't, I don't think they understand that. I think they, we haven't been able to educate them and without the opportunity to have a hearing and bring it forward and have the media pick up on what we're doing and uh, 
stuff like that just doesn't make it to the news. You know, you, you have to do something audacious and, and ridiculous. And that they'll pick up on. So it, it's a combination of many things. But right now I see it as very much a partisan divide. Although, if you were paying attention, I think back in 2018, President, then President Trump talked about it, at least his daughter did. Um, so there was mention of it out of the White House, which didn't help us a great deal, but you know, it, there's a spark of hope somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I agree with that. If, if everybody got on board with it, it was, you know, an issue that impacts everyone. Um, so kind of along those same lines, what other factors do you think should be considered when in any uh, legislation that addresses the paid sick leave issues, like, you know, ways to get people on board politically or other economic or historical issues that come to mind for you? I don't think there's a single one of us who can't come up with an example of when this would have benefited them, their household, their family income, <clears throat> someone. Um, and when we crafted our bill, we were very careful to make it not so narrowly defined as to close doors before they're ever open. Um, you know, we, we struggled with, do we bring in domestic partners as, as part of the program? Do we bring in foster children? Do we bring in in-laws, you know, when we're figuring out who we're going to cover. <clears throat> because the broader you make that, the less likely it is that you're going to find any Republican to join you in the effort. So we tried to keep it as tight as we could, assuming if we can get a foot in the door, perhaps this can expand when, when people understand the value of it and we begin to see the benefit of it. Um, the other piece of it that seems to be missing for us is getting business to understand the advantage to them, um, the turnover, the lack of hours, the you know, spreading of disease within their ranks. If one business has it and another one doesn't, the advantage of hiring people who see that and value it. So it's, it's, there's a lot of education to be done, but when you're sitting in the country at the bottom of the pile in terms of providing, paid family medical leave, it's pretty hard to get people interested. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so along those lines, then, when you're thinking if you could come up with a perfect policy to address paid sick leave, if there wasn't going to be opposition, what would that look like to you? Well, ideally, people would go to work and do their jobs because they love their work and blah, blah, blah. If something prevented that, like illness or <clears throat> having to provide care for someone else, it would happen. It would happen rather automatically without all the drama and finagling. And they would still be allowed to have some vacation and function as human beings in a, in a world that respects workers and workers' rights. But perfect is so far away from where we are it's hard to imagine i had a staffer here not too long ago um shortly after i hired her she announced that she had just learned she was pregnant and so we just sort of built into our heads that we would be replacing her someplace down the road or 
working without her while she had her baby. But she said that she was raised in Canada and the thought of returning to work within a couple of weeks of giving birth was so abhorrent and so unnatural to her understanding of parenthood that she said, just count me out. I'm not coming back because I'm spending the first year with my baby. That's what we do. <laughs> and um, it was kind of startling to me that she recognized she probably wasn't coming back here as much as she would like to come, but be gone a whole year was, was her norm in her country. You know, so yeah, the advantages are so great, and yet you can't get people to understand that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, could you talk a little bit about um, the, this bill that you have that you're introducing with paid sick leave and uh, what it looks like in more detail? So it, it creates an insurance program and all employees, every employee is eligible and pays in and it's, it's voluntary. It isn't mandatory that they do. So you aren't going to collect if you aren't participating. And if you are participating, then it's going to take a few years for us to figure out at what percent that it's going to take to meet the need. Um, so we're eager to get more people signed on. Um, but it, it provides for those longer absences than just I woke up with the flu and I'm staying home today. Um, it, it's, it's created very much like unemployment insurance in that it would be the Department of Workforce Development operating it. And you know they would have the opportunity to do <clears throat> the reviews and decide if you are in fact eligible based on how much time you've worked and how much money you have put in. Um, but we figure it would affect 2.7 million Wisconsinites should they decide to join in. So it has great potential, but we've got a long way to go to, to build it. And uh, I think our last iteration of the bill did include, pretty sure it did, domestic partners, um, grandparent-in-laws kinds of things. So it was pretty inclusive. And, you know, you, we write these things knowing, hmm, it's probably not going anywhere, or no, we're not getting a hearing. So, you know, the, the balance is, do we appeal to more people and hope the media picks up on that, the public becomes more aware, or do we keep it very narrowly written so that businesses who might possibly recognize the benefit to them. So, okay, well, this isn't so bad, I can do it. So, you know, the, the iterations change from session to session. Yeah, speaking of which, we did try to, in our memo, address this issue of businesses and especially small businesses and getting them on board. Do you have any ideas or suggestions about how you might educate businesses on the benefits of this type of policy or kind of like outreach efforts? I think we can go back to reflecting on COVID, um, how staying home because you have symptoms or have been exposed certainly would have been more beneficial than what we did, which is just all run off to work and spread this thing around even further. <clears throat> so uh, that would be one way. Um, trying to determine what's that sweet spot number of defining small business. 50 or less employees, 25 or less employees, that kind of thing. Um, it, 
it's hard to know. And we, we look at models from other states and how they've done it. And, and we try to use that. But we are so partisan here in Wisconsin, so divided, that it's difficult to compare ourselves to any other place that is sane, because we're not. <laughs> um, so it, it's just continuing to try. And actually, the only reason that we ever had hearing on this bill is because one of the legislators who chaired a committee was committed to giving every bill that got sent to his committee a hearing. Just going to do it. Why not? That doesn't happen anymore. But <laughs> so maybe taking over the governorship and picking up a few more seats here and there will provide us the opportunity to help educate the public. Do you think that uh, with with this bill or even with a bill like we talked about, if we were doing just a more flat five days of paid sick leave policy, um, you kind of touched on some of it, but the political or even practical barriers to implementing this policy, if it did get that far, can you think of what those might be? Many of the barriers are imagined. And many are exaggerated. So it's, it's hard to get past that in a society that is really good at exaggeration and <laughs> imagination. Um, I think talking, honestly, I think in talking to the public about this bill outside of this building, people are shocked to find out how many countries actually do this in a very real, substantial, important way and how it is that we do nothing. They, they almost don't believe you. They think you're making it up when you tell them that, you know, places like Slovenia are head and shoulders above us and we're doing nothing. I think they just think you're throwing hyperbole at them. So we've got to find ways to think, educate the public that one, it's an employee-based contribution. And two, everybody else has managed to do this. What's with us? I think those are the two big things that can just open up the mind to accept the information. All of the people we know have family members who get sick or have children and want to spend time with them or have a car accident and need to be in the hospital for more than five days. <clears throat> what happens to them? What happens to their jobs? Um, maybe maybe appealing to the women because more women have those two part-time jobs and go home and care for the family. But how do you get their attention when they're struggling just to keep their head above water? You know, the people who need this the most are the hardest to speak to. Just they don't have time to be that aware. Thanks for tuning into In a Perfect Policy with UW-Madison's Catalysts for Science Policy. For more episodes, please check out casp.wisc.edu slash podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review In a Perfect Policy wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Maya Gumnett, Lauren Schrader, and Chris Unterberger with help from Katie Pereira. Thank you to Representative Sandy Pope for answering our questions.